Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. All right, guys, uh, we got the old waterfowl seminar here, so appreciate you guys showing up. Uh, my name is Cody Kellum here at Born and Raised. My name is Eric Strand, Born and Raised as well. And uh, you can see by the list of accomplishments, here's the expert right here in the field, Mr. Eric Strand. No, yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Uh, so we're going to go through kind of how we approach like our setup and how we locate birds, how we set up our decoys, how we set up our blinds, pick our spots to do blinds, um, calling, you name it. So. Uh, if you have questions, though, please feel free at any time you want. Raise your hand. Let us know what you want to talk about, and we'll go in depth on it. So anyway, let's get started. Um, so these are going to be some of the, the keys to success on what we're doing day in, day out, every season to try and be successful as much as possible, right? Um, first, that, first one being following the water, and that goes from the beginning of the season to the end. In the beginning of the season, you got to find the areas that still have water, and those are going to be your, your areas that... The ducks have been raised all summer. They've been living all summer. Your first migrators, migrators are going to show up too. And then throughout the season, we're following the fresh water, whether that be um, areas that the rivers are coming up or, or areas that are, are freshly being flooded. But finding those areas and staying on them is super important. Why? Because those areas are where they're going to flood new feed. And that's going to be areas that birds can hang out. So follow the water, super and, important. And then, yeah, the next up is following that weather. Um, I think Part of waterfowling is being a meteorologist more than it is uh, being a hunter half the time. It's always looking, what's the pattern going up north? We're watching Canada, seeing all those cold freezes, seeing when when we think we're, fresh birds are going to show up, um, and, and following that. Um, also on storm fronts, what what's going to hit? What's the conditions going to be? Uh, case in point, this year we had a, a hunt lined up. It all came together the night before, drove all night all the way to the east side because we we're going to have the right conditions to follow uh, with the weather coming out of the wind coming out of the south to hunt the birds. So it's just constantly watching the water levels, constantly watching the weather, see what's going on. And it's putting those patterns together. Yeah. And, and Cody touched on it, but like we're, we're checking different weather apps and different weather forecasts all day long, every day. We've actually got a, a group text thread that we're talking about the weather, what we think is going to happen. What, what's, what, where should we be? Where do we want to be? And just like Cody said, we literally would drive three, four hours at a time just because this certain weather system is going to hit and we want to be there when it does hit. So uh, wind is probably probably the biggest factor that we're watching. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's hunting in western Oregon. A lot of times the wind does not hit here. So um, if we see a good windstorm showing up on the east side of the state, it's where we're going to chase that over there. Um, and, and like I said, seeing where that freeze line is and, and understanding where those birds are going to get pushed out. And that typically starts happening more in November and into December in those types of weather. We get some fresh birds in. So we're watching the weather. We're, we're letting that dictate where we're going to hunt. But then we're also, of course, the food sources change throughout the season and what foods that the ducks and geese are feeding on. 
So like early in the season, right, we're gonna be feeding on a lot of bugs, a lot of microinvertebrates, a lot of uh, a lot of like aquatic plant uh, aquatic plants uh, like milfoil and plantain and different different um, feed sources that are actually all water based. Whereas then, as as the cold weather starts to hit, they then change to more carbohydrates, whether it be millet or corn or buckwheat or barley. So we're, we're watching those those uh, those food sources as they change, and then targeting those food sources to hunt. And then the next step is just kind of adapting to pressure, right? I mean, we primarily hunt public spots just like anyone else. Um, and we chase a lot, you know, we scout a lot too on private too and try to get door knock and get permission. And uh, it's, it's just trying to locate those birds, figuring out where the pressure is going to be and where you can get away from it. And always kind of keeping tabs too. If we aren't hunting anymore, everyone's posting on social and you can understand what, what shot where and when and how it, how it did. So we're always kind of keeping on tabs what's going on. Uh, last one being like thinking outside the box. We're going to talk about that throughout this this uh, this presentation, but that just means that how how we approach our hunt, how we approach our hunting style, and and how we're going to, to set up our hunts. We're thinking outside the box, doing things that are different. All right, when it comes to decoys, we could probably spend an hour just talking about those. But we'll try to touch on it right now. Um, go with the best decoys that you can afford. There's decoys out there that you can buy for fifty bucks a dozen. There's decoys you can buy for a thousand dollars a dozen. Um, of course, you know, not everyone's going to want to spend a thousand dollars a dozen for decoys, but they, they do work very well. Use the ones that you can afford. Don't, don't go too, too crazy or too hog wild on it. And then, yeah, on ducks, you know, especially on public stuff, everyone's kind of got two to three, four dozen. We definitely tend to carry big spreads in if we can. Um, and, and we'll run sometimes up to eight and 10 dozen when you start adding silhouettes in. Um, so you want a good imprint. Um, and as season goes on, that decoy strategy can change as well. And you might shift down to a small, super realistic, relaxed spread. Um, and then, you know, we talk about it as mixing in floaters, full bodies, uh, silhouettes is another one. If you want to make a big impact, um, goose floaters, goose silhouettes. Um, a lot of times, too, on public land, it's everyone's got four dozen mallard floaters. We're going to bring widgeon decoys. We'll bring a bunch of goose silhouettes. Uh, to make that footprint a lot bigger so those birds can key in on you from a distance. And there's there's confidence in numbers, right? So that's why we'll go with a bigger spread. Um, birds are attracted to large decoy spreads. So if you can, if you, if you if you can afford it or if you can pack it in, there's times we'll go with even 20 or 30 dozen because you can put out 15, 20 dozen silhouettes pretty easy, right? They don't take up a, a lot of space and they make a big footprint. And then it, it looks different than the other guy who might be 300 yards down from you. And then we'll also change our, our strategy on decoys, whether we're hunting public or private. Um, some of the private stuff that we're able to hunt, you may not have to go as big. So you definitely want to adjust with, with what you're hunting. And, and goose floaters is one, too. If you're just hunting ducks, uh, case in point, like hunting the wildlife area here, can't shoot any geese. But we, every time we enter that, we've got as many goose floaters as we can carry. And those ducks, a lot of times, will center up on those goose goose decoys. So. And you can see them from a long ways. And you can ways. see them from a long ways, yep. Yep, yep. Um, want to talk about like how we rig our decoys, how we transport them. Um, so this picture here, this goes way back. This is probably over a decade old, but this is kind of our standard. We use these, these decoy carts. That decoy cart fits exactly inside the bed of our pickup, inside the wheel wells. So we can roll it up on ramps, put it in the back of our pickup, or if you have like a small utility trailer, you can put it in the back there as well. I'm not saying you have to do this, but it sure, it sure makes the hunt more enjoyable. Um, We'll, we'll put our decoys in there. We'll put our blind bags, our coffee thermos, our flashlights, our dog blinds. I mean, extra clothes, all, all sorts of stuff to the point where it, 
it looks a little ridiculous at times. Yeah, there's <laughs> definitely been times where it's stacked above the cart, you know, quite a bit, um, or we'll double up on carts. So, uh, but it's just one of those ease of transport, right? If you're you hunting a walking area, you throw sling a three dozen decoys on your back, two dozen decoys. It's pretty hard and brutal. This you can put put ten dozen decoys in and just push with your hands, pretty easy. Yep. Um, when it comes to how we bag our decoys, transport them, we like to use six and 12 slot bags. A couple reasons. A, it's easy to organize. So if we want to take a bunch of mallard decoys, we grab all of our mallard floaters in, in those six slots or 12, ba- uh, 12 slots. Same thing for widgeon or pintail or goose floaters. It's easy to separate them. And second, they're going to last a lot longer because now they're being protected from banging around with each other, decoy weights, you know, smashing each other. All of a sudden, these decoys that might only last a couple years, they'll last you four, five, six seasons. And, uh, yeah, and I think, too, that Texas rig's been one. It's easiest way to pick up decoys fast. Go through, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's just got an eyelet hook on the front of that decoy. The weight slides down. So instead of being a fixed weight, you slide that up. You can grab all, you know, 12 decoys all together, pull them in and out. Makes things going in and out a lot easier. Yeah, and we use, what, pretty much a standard four- to six-foot dropper. That's, yeah, that's kind of yeah our four to six if you're hunting, you know, big river systems that might be deeper, you can run longer lines. But ourselves, I mean, for the most part, we're hunting shallower water. All right, motion decoys. Who here is hunting in Oregon, Washington? Everyone, okay? So in Oregon and Washington, we cannot use anything electronic, right? It has to be, um, has to be manual or wind-powered. So we're using pull strings. We use the decoy dancer whip splash. We also use the, the last stand which is a floating decoy stand that then rocks back and forth, puts off water motion, but motion is super key. Yeah, and that, um, you guys can see, we've actually got one over there in the uh, decoy dancer there, and it, it's a spinning wing decoy. So uh, the one thing, you know, it's, you don't necessarily want to pull that thing the entire time all the way, but you can kind of read the birds, what, how they're reacting. A lot of times they're flying by, hit the spinner, hit them on the hail call. Uh, they'll react, turn the corner, let off on the spinner, they start drifting again, hit that spinner again, you know, and they'll key in on that. And some days they'll finish spinning all the way to the water. So you just have to, one of those, as the season goes on, read the birds and see what's going on and how it, they react. It's just like blowing a duck call, right? I mean, some days they want to hear a lot of calling, some days they don't. And one thing we always kind of keep in mind is wing, wing tips and tail feathers, right? So if they're going away or if they're banking, that's when we're going to blow a duck call or pull the pull string. Or if they're kind of just, just making that last pass, we're trying to attract them but not flare them off. And jerk cords is another one. Um, the, the best one on the market we've used is called Motion Duck, and it's a spreader. It's got a, a hub of four, and there's fixed decoys on it. It's got an anchor and a, a shot cord tubing, so you can pull that thing in. And those, those ducks actually look like they're swimming as you're pulling them back and forth. Um, and I've got it strung up where there's, there's two together, so I've got seven decoys. And as you're pulling that thing for, it looks just like a, you know, those mallards swimming along. Yeah, it's definitely the most efficient mm-hmm. way. And, and then for transport, you literally just, just fold up the legs. All the decoys stay on, 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 the, uh, on the legs themselves, and they're super easy to set up. So I'll talk about wind power decoys a little bit too. Myself, I'm, I'm personally not a big fan. Reason being, you cannot control the amount of motion that you're putting, putting out. So say you have a, a good 10 to 15 mile hour wind, you're using like a, uh, a wind duck. That thing's gonna be spinning nonstop the entire time. So once I lose control of like how I'm gonna how I'm gonna use that motion decoy, I'm I'm not a fan. I'm kind of out. Yeah. So, yeah. Decoy spread. So 
right here, the, the one thing is, is those ducks are always going to, ducks and geese both are going to want to approach with that wind in their face. That's, they've got the most lift, the most control. They're not going to want to land with the wind at their back. So we always try to pack the decoys. If we've got a, we're shooting a crosswind right here, wind's coming out of the east, those ducks are going to approach out of the west. We're going to put the majority of those decoys up on this upper end here. They're going to be attracted to that mob. Um, if you put that mob on the lower end, a lot of times they're going to shortstop you land out on the outside of that spread. So we're going to string, string those decoys in a little bit lighter on the downwind side and stack heavy on the upwind side. And then use your use your motion decoys to center the birds up. You're kind of almost like air, air traffic control, right? You want to try, try and dictate where those birds are going to land or where they're going to try to come to. I'm not going to put it on the far upwind side. I'm not going to put it on the far downwind side. I'm going to try and put it, for the most part, centered to where we want to take our shots. And then when it comes to the motion, too, I, I like to... I don't like to have it way up in the air. I like to have it pretty close to the water. A lot of times those birds, when they're making their final approach, they will kind of hang up on it a little bit. So I'd rather have them hang up at... 15, 20 yards rather than, than 40 yards, right? And then the biggest thing I've learned with Eric on decoy spreads is random, right? So there's, <laughs> there's not like the, the Nike swoosh pattern or the donut that you want to run. It's, it's random. If you look at, you know, the best research on that is when you go scout. What, what do those birds look like when they were there the day before? It's typically random. You know, I mean, if we're hunting geese and cacklers, those birds feed really tight. They're going to be tight together on the decoy side of it. Hunting honkers, you're going to run a big, loose, open spread, relax. Uh, so kind of mimic what you're seeing there in, in, in your scouting. Kind of always take notes. I always take my phone scope, take pictures. See, you know, so when you're, when you're putting that decoy spread, it's not, you know, it's not, you want to get rid of symmetry, right? Where it's like two here, two here, two here. Just intermix it. It's like throwing the rocks or the marbles and how they land, they land. And, and we're pretty fortunate nowadays with, with drone technology, right? If you were to go on YouTube and, you know, look up, hey, I want to look at uh, pictures of ducks from, from drones, you, you can see exactly how they're laid out. And there is absolutely zero pattern to it. None. So. All right, now we're going to get into to calling. So we've kind of, we've got our, our decoy spread set. Birds are starting to fly calling ducks okay so there's single reads there's double reads there's power calling there's finesse calling there's all sorts of different styles you know i say match the hatch what i'm saying by match the hatch is like you want to try and basically what do they want to hear that day and usually in the first hour to two hours i can tell like what the birds are responding to right do they want to hear a lot of calling do they want to hear a little calling do they want to hear a lot of feed calling do they want to hear aggressive calling so myself i'm a single read guy cody's a single read guy as well double reads are great duck calls though and a lot of people i don't i got, I got my start on a double read so a double read, um, most of the tone is actually built into the, the call itself. So you have two different reads, right? You have a bottom read and a top read, and they're actually vibrating separately. So a single read is just one read, two, you know, double reads two. What you don't want to do is have both those vibrate at the same time. That, that means they're stuck together. But most of the, 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 the tone and the duck sound you want is just built into this call. A lot easier to blow than a single read, and also takes a lot less air. Um, Try demoing this. Hopefully, it doesn't mess up with the, the speaker here. So it still has great tone, pretty good volume, but it's not not gonna be as loud or as versatile as a single read, right? Um, a single read duck call. Pull this one apart. Again, just has the one single read. I'll blow that as well. You can kind of hear just a, just a sound difference. And, and the one thing, too, to pay attention, and this is something that yeah. Eric taught me a couple years ago, is read position when you're calling. Um, when you're calling, you look down in that call, 
You always want that reed to be facing down as it comes up to your mouth. That's gonna pull the reed off the tone board, pull it down and create the most, when you're blowing uh, up, a lot of times you're pushing air down on that and that's when your calls are gonna wanna stick um, and, it, and then it's a much flatter tone out of it. So always position your call with that reed down as you place that call up to your mouth. mouth. So you'll hear like this call, it's gonna be quite a bit louder. I'll get a little more tonal variations. So those are the biggest differences I could say between a single read and a double read. You can hear that double, that double read sound, a little, little mellower, a little bit softer, mm. but still a great duck sound. Single read, a little more aggressive, a little more harsh, and a little more tonal variation. Um, so match the hatch, right? If, if you're in, a, in a, uh, a big pintail widgeon feed, you know, we'll stick with the mallard call, but also in a, another key tool is a whistle, right? A widgeon whistle. Simple pintail whistle. Um, and it, it's a nice mixture, right? Um, and, and same, you know, on the goose side of life, if you're hunting big honkers, you're going to want to run that low honker. If you're hunting in cacklers, lessers, kind of match the hatch on that and run a lesser or a cackler call. Um, let's talk a little bit between like power calling and finesse calling as well. So power calling is like lots of volume as far as of, of calling, right? It doesn't mean you're just like you're, you're calling hard. It's just lots of calling, aggressive calling. Myself, I like to call aggressive. Um, I get the, mo the most reaction, the best reaction out of the ducks calling aggressive. But for other people, they like to finesse call, and that means calling just when you need that reaction, right? So um, the, one of my duck hunting mentors, he's strictly a finesse caller, does not call very much, but when he calls, he's calling with purpose, and he wants to get a reaction. Myself, I'm more or less like, I'm just trying to make it sound like a refuge, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to make it sound like that's where the party's at. I try to get the birds excited and get them down as fast as I can. Yep, and then uh, public hunting refuge style versus private, right? You have a ton of competition. You guys, who's hunted Savvies out here? Anyone? So, on average, on the low end, it's 200 people. On the high end, there's 400 people a day out there. So it, there's a lot of competition, um, and you want to control those ducks. You do not want them to steer off and and search out another spread. Someone else calling. So you, it's power calling. It's handling them as fast as you can getting them into your spread because a lot of times there's someone else that's 200 yards away and they shoot at another flock of birds and those birds that have been working you and working you they hear those shots slide out so you want to make it as efficient as fast as possible to get those birds in your decoys private land you know is definitely where you can kind of set back a little bit let them work and be a little bit more relaxed on it and, and cody's spot on like if i'm hunting private ground that the birds are coming to i've scouted out and they're coming to that, that spot like I'll call and get a reaction, but once they're doing what I want them to do, if they're coming, like I'm gonna let it be, and hopefully they're just gonna come in on their own. Okay, so now we're gonna get into more or less like the science behind actually calling <laughs> birds. Um, you heard me, you know, use the adage wingtips and tail feathers when it came to using a, a spinning wing decoy. It's the same thing with with calling a ducks, calling a geese. If they're coming straight at me, like I might tone it back. If they're flying right over top of me, I'm gonna tone it back because they're they're pinpointing that sound, right? So if they're looking right down in the blind and I'm, I'm giving them a reason to look into the blind, that, that's not going to work out in our favor, right? So if they're circling over top or they're starting to do what I want them to do, I'll back off, quiet up a little bit. And the same thing, like if they're going away, okay, now I'm going to lean on them. I'm going to call super loud, super aggressive, trying to get them to turn back around, come back into the decoy spread.
Um, <clears throat> so the only rule when we talk about we don't call if you can't see them, I would say in, in heavy fog, which we do get on the west side, is you're kind of that trolling call. It's like you don't know where the birds are. They don't know where you're at. You're going to just give them some soft quacks, couple bouncing hen type, feed chatter, anything like that. But if, if you're in there and you can't see what they're re- how they're going to react to it, don't call at them. Yep. And then when I'm, when I'm watching birds and I'm calling, I'm looking for that reaction, right? I'm watching their body language. Like, if, if they're locked up, are they tightening up and coming in faster? Or all of a sudden, do they kind of let up and start fluttering a little bit? Or do they power flare on something? I'm trying to figure out what's working and what isn't. And oh, then, yeah, yeah this, this we use in the elk woods, and the turkey woods, whatever it is. Stick with what got you there. If they responded to that uh, soft quack and all of a sudden they're coming at it and you just hail on them and they flare off, like... Don't introduce something, and you, you know if things start adjusting and they start sliding off, that's when you can start opening the bag of tricks and getting more aggressive with them. Yep. You guys have any questions at all yet, or we're all good? Perfect. Okay, so there's there's several, there's lots and lots of different sounds, right? And I can go through them real quick. Um, a hail call, my my hail call and like greeting call is for the most part one and the same, but a hail call is gonna be a more, little more aggressive. That's what I would use for a hail call, right? A greeting call. So you're basically just drawing it out or like elongating that that greeting call for a hail, and then just a standard hail or a standard greet is five to seven notes. Uh, the chop chop call. It's basically it's a real fast duck. Bouncing hen. Cajun squeal. And I've got a few different types of feeds. So like a real fast feed, I'm gonna blow that real aggressive. And I'm trying to I'm trying to basically make it sound like, hey, this is where the party's at, this is where the food's at. I'm trying to get those birds excited to get them, get them, get them fired up. There's a bunch of ducks on, on the on the water feeding. And then a more relaxed feed, a more like staccato feed. It's a lot of clucks, a lot of like just more quiet feed, and then your single quack. A single quack and an alarm quack are not the same. So a single quack's w- real relaxed. Alarm quack. You'll hear an alarm quack when a bird's getting up off the water, right? You'll hear that hen mallard as she's leaving. She's trying to mm-hmm. alert everyone in, in the area that hey, there's danger. Get out of here. The perfect duck blind. Um, honestly is is what the natural area is there trying to match that um case in point we hunted some public this year on the river and we found it was this nice willow line and all along that was canary grass so we just went and cut canary grass took cut branches from the willow branches and then just made that exact same you couldn't tell the difference from 50 yards away that was natural and where the blind was um, you know, and if we can get away with that, less stuff you have to take, you don't have to take a panel blind or layout blinds, anything like that. Uh, we, over the years, the simpler, the better is what we've gotten. Yeah. So when it comes to you, like blind direction myself, I would rather have the sun at my back and have a crosswind than have the, than have the wind on my back and have the sun on my face. Right. So you got the sun on your back. All of a sudden you're in the shadows. You're not staring into the sun. Your, 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 your face isn't shining. And maybe I, maybe I had to give up that perfect, you know, wind from my back, but I can shoot them across. If they can't see me, they're a lot more apt to come in. So blind direction is super important. I've had a lot of guys say, oh, we got to have the wind on our back. And I'm like, that's great. It would be, it'd be cool if we, if we did. 
But if I'm staring straight to the east in the morning and that sun's blinding me and just making my face shine all morning, no bueno. Yeah, and then uh, cover from all sides, right? I think a lot of people always think about just up front and forward. Um, those birds are going to work vertical. They're going to be over the top. They're going to see the back side of that. You want as much back cover as you can. And then the, the biggest thing we found over the years is top cover. If, you, if you're running panel blinds, um, there, you create a black hole, and the black holes get scary for birds from above. So having some sort of top cover, lids, or anything like that is definitely something to look at. And uh, build out an edge, right? So if, uh, if there's an eyebrow of blackberries coming out, you know, continue that. You can get away, you know, bringing that out. And don't just build the blind and call it good. Take more cover, add to it so it's not just one blob. You've got two or three extras there. It kind of helps build that out more natural side of it. Yeah, if we're hunting like a river bank or a bank of, or a, a river edge or a pond edge, and we build a willow blind, it's like in a perfect square, then we'll take willows and stick them all around us just to kind of feather that out and make it look like a willow clump that's growing out, right? And then live in the shadows if you can. Um, like Eric said, in that sun, a lot of times that's when you're going to just shine and, and birds will pick you up. You're, you're going to be glowing. So, Yeah, use the sun to your advantage anytime you can. When it comes to blinds, there's literally a multitude of different different types and styles of blinds. Um, we use boat blinds. When I see a corn blind, like we're hunting in a cornfield, we might build like a, a corn, you know, front, corn back, just make like look like you're in a corn row. Um, there's box blinds, which are more of a permanent style blind. Uh, panel blinds, which is like our go-to right now. The panel blinds are super effective, easy to break down, lightweight. You can leave them brushed up year-round. I mean, they're they're, they're hands yeah, down that's our my favorite. preferred method most yeah. of the time. You know, like. Used to hunt with strictly layout blinds, tougher to shoot out of, a little bit more uncomfortable, a um, little bit colder generally. So absolutely, yep. Um, natural cover blinds, like Cody was talking about. You know, if if there's a great spot to set up, just in the trees or in the willows, just maybe cut out a little hole to where all of a sudden you're not making this big, huge object for them to look at. Just try to blend into the natural cover there. And then layout blinds. Layout blinds were extremely popular for a very long time. They still have their time and place, but as a whole panel blinds and a-frame style blinds have kind of taken over the market um and like cody just said they're a lot more comfortable easier to shoot out of just all in all a better blind right um and then willow or scotch broom blinds so like we'll build willow blinds just by cutting lots of willows and making a blind around us same thing with scotch broom which we have a plethora of in this area um and it works really really well real fluffy all right. So we talk about this weather apps, right? Um, I use a, a weather app called Ventusky or Windy, and it's it gives you uh, wind vectors. And actually, like, you can zoom in and see where you're at. It's going to show you what the wind's going to be doing throughout the day. Um, and, it, and it seems to be really accurate. So a lot of times, okay, hey, we're going to have a weather change at 8 o'clock. Let's not set up for the first hour all based on that, but we're going to base it on, the you know, that wind prediction. Um, weather web websites i love noaa i'm a big noaa weather fan so we use noaa weather we use accuweather uh, those are probably the two we use the most so. yeah and that venteski's got a really good weather too yep. uh river levels um same deal usgs and and noaa is going to show you prediction of water levels it's kind of critical side of it see and two like make notes if you go you know the biggest thing i've learned over the years is is logging that information so you're like Okay, we hunted it. I don't remember what water level is. Can I get my boat in there? I had a case this year where I hunted it at four foot, and I thought I could get in there at two and a half, and I hit ground at two and a half. So it was like, okay, 
can't hunt this under three and a half feet. So uh, make notes. And, and I, a lot of times, like an Onyx, I'll save a waypoint and then I'll screenshot the water level of what it was, take a picture there, add that into the waypoint so I know what the water looks like at that level. Yeah. Um, bird stats are like, you know, all the, all the harvest statistics that these um, state and federal refuges post, super important info. Uh, we look at it all throughout the season. More or less, I'm not going off like, I'm going to hunt here because it's doing X. I'm more or less looking at like, what's the trend? Like, are there more birds in this area, more birds in that area? Um, I'm not going to pick what unit I'm going to hunt or what area I'm going to hunt solely off those numbers. But it lets me know, okay, hey, all of a sudden, Savi just shot up to a 3.5 bird per hunter average, which is phenomenal. Like, there's a bunch of new birds that showed up in that area. So, um, and again, like, just, just like taking notes on, on tides or river levels, you can start to put kind of, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, well, when the river hits five and a half feet, this unit's shooting pretty well, or this area is shooting pretty well, and you start to put together that, that pattern. So, Yeah, and like I said, social media, like anymore, people are posting pictures before they leave the field, and it's like, okay, well, they shot them over, over in Umatilla today. So yep. it's just kind of... On X is, we're using it nonstop. Nonstop. I mean, whether it be gaining access to hunt private property, or understanding different public areas to hunt, or different access points, it's, yeah, we use it nonstop. Well, thanks guys for being here. Appreciate it. Hope you guys learned something from it and yeah, have a good, good season.